0: Welcome to the Truth Wars podcast with Dr. Olin Stubbs. We wanted to let you know that Olin's first book, What to Do with Worry, is now available on Audible. You can also purchase physical copies where Christian books are sold. Now, here's Olin. Matthew chapter five, and while you turn there, I'll pray. Father, we love you, and we are very grateful to you for all of your gifts to us, but maybe especially at times the gift of forgiveness, the gift of mercy. And I pray this morning, even as we listen to your word, there can be a real sense in our hearts of joy, of celebration for the forgiveness that we have in Christ. And Lord, I pray that we would not keep that sense of forgiveness to ourselves, but you would help us this morning, Lord, to have appropriate insight into how that forgiveness is meant not only to cover us but to change us and change the way we interact with others. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. Matthew chapter 5, and ask yourself this question. Do you feel forgiven? Do you feel forgiven? Here's another question you might want to think about. Have you ever said this phrase, or maybe have you ever heard somebody else say this phrase? I know that God loves me. I'm just not sure God likes me. Or maybe they say, I, I know God loves me, but I don't feel like God likes me sometimes. Okay. Now, we're going to talk about sinful anger at another Sunday, probably at some point in the future. I promise. Okay? And maybe it'll just be for me. But anytime I read teaching in the Bible that's against sinful anger, which I think in human experience tends to be about 99.9% of our anger, at least of mine, there's always like the caveat, but what about sinful anger? Because I think last night, hypothetically, when I got mad at one of my kids, that was righteous anger. So, we're going to get there. But this morning, that's not what we're talking about. Matthew chapter 5. And remember, on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus made some pretty broad statements about taking Old Testament commands. And then applying them a lot more deeply. Okay? And the context we're looking at here is where he said, hey... You've heard it said, from the Ten Commandments, Thou shalt not murder. It's like, that's a good one. That's a biggie, right? Everybody should know that one. But I tell you, if you get sinfully angry at your brother, at your sister, it's like baby murder in the heart. It's like seed anger in the heart. Excuse me, seed murder. You're on your way. So, Matthew chapter 5, let's look at verse 21 and 22. You've heard that it was said... To those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, You fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. It's pretty strong words. The first thing I want us to think about this morning is what a focus Jesus puts on forgiveness. And by that I mean forgiveness at the horizontal level. This is our fourth week in a series on forgiveness. And the first three weeks we were in the Old Testament, so we're making a turn now. We're going to be in the New Testament primarily going forward. And we're also making another turn. The first three weeks we have primarily focused on vertical forgiveness. And what I mean by that is how God the Father in Heaven looks down on us and His people and He gives us forgiveness in Christ. Which is most important. It's primary. But you could say a close second is horizontal forgiveness. How we practice that forgiveness with one another. And I want us to see the focus that Christ puts on this horizontal forgiveness. Verse 23. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Now, here's the context. Jesus in Jerusalem, somewhere near, teaching this. Jewish people that have been very familiar with Jerusalem, with the temple, with worship. And the idea, listen, for a lot of the poor Jews, they probably only got to go to the actual temple once a year. It could be an expensive journey and pilgrimage. And so he's saying, imagine you finally get there, that you're at the temple, you're going to bring your sacrifice, you got it. And as you're about to go into the temple to make your sacrifice, you remember, not that you have something against somebody else, that one of your brothers has something against you. You should leave it there, your sacrifice, Go make amends first, try to make things right, come back, and then worship. Now, this is a problematic text in a number of ways, okay? The first, verse 23, he says, So if you are offering your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something. I mean, you think, wait a second, leave and go back. Because for many people, this might have been like a weeks-long journey. Can you imagine that? You came to worship, you're about to worship, and you're like, oh, darn it, I forgot Bob's really mad at me. I gotta go back home, right? They didn't have planes. I gotta travel all the way back home, try to make up with Bob, then I gotta come back. This is serious, so you think, well, this must be about something really serious. No, he says something. If you look up the words in the Greek there for something, it's used over 12,000 times. It's kind of like our English word for something, it just means something, anything. Something big, something small, something stupid. Now, we are probably all familiar with the phrase, modern day English, you know, uh, leave the ball in their court. You ever use that phrase? The ball's in my court, I'm responsible. No, the ball's in your court, you're responsible. Listen to several different quotes here. I've got a lot of quotes, but they're important this morning. There's a book called The Peacemaker. The author says this, adjust the intensity of our communication To fit the other person's position. Okay. Mark 11.25. I want us to look at this one. Keep your finger. Right here in Matthew. We're coming right back. But flip over to Mark 11.25. Jesus talked about forgiveness a lot. Mark 11.25. And we may come back and address this verse longer, later. But for now. Mark 11.25. At that time Jesus declared, I thank you, Father. Excuse me, that's Matthew eleven, twenty five. I didn't go far enough. Mark eleven, twenty-five. Jesus speaking. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your father also, who is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. So Tim Keller has a great book on forgiveness. It may maybe his last book that came out before he died. Highly recommended. But one of the things he says is whether you're mad at the other person or hurt by the other person or the other person's mad at you or hurt by you, it's always your move. Based on these two texts. Because if you have something and you're praying, you're like, I'm really mad at her, you should just forgive in your heart. We'll explain more about what that means later. Okay? But if you're like, I'm not mad, they're mad. And guys, this, this is so important, okay? Some of this is my personality. Some of this, I think, is being an American. But just think, if if you're like, I'm not upset about anything. I'm as happy as a lark. But old so-and-so over there, they're just always getting their feelings hurt. They're mad at me. What's the American mindset? Either they need to grow up, or if they want to talk about it, they can initiate, right? And I'll be honest, I love that mindset. In my flesh. But it doesn't jive very well with what Jesus is saying. Here's John MacArthur. Successful prayer requires forgiveness. There's a sense in which God can stiff arm us in our prayer lives if we're refusing to forgive one another. Now, it can seem like Jesus is almost making loving your neighbor more important than loving God in worship at first glance. Have you ever wondered about this? You know, you remember the passage, it's Matthew chapter 22, I think, where somebody asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? They only asked for one. And Jesus says, first commandment is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbors yourself. It's like Jesus. They asked for one, why'd you give two? Because Jesus knows, especially with a bunch of legalistic Pharisees, it's easy to say, of course I love God. Man, you don't know how much I love God. And I got some proof. I fast, I tithe, I go to all that. And Jesus says, no, no, no. You really love God? Here's the real proof. It's how you love people. It shows up there. It's the proof. Proof's in the pudding. Okay. Worship, what we're doing here this morning, in some sense, is supposed to be a practical celebration. We're singing all these songs. Thank you, God, for loving us, for forgiving us. It's hard to come to worship. And basically, in some sense, worship is like a party about forgiveness. Right? It's like, we've come to the party. We're going to dance for forgiveness. Not Presbyterians, but some people might, right? We're all excited about forgiveness. And if somebody said, hey, didn't you and them have a little beef? How's the forgiveness? Uh, Yeah, I don't do forgiveness with them. That makes sense. Hendrickson says this. Included in saving faith is the eagerness to forgive. Hang on to that phrase. That phrase has rocked my world the last couple of years. Meditate on that one. Are you eager to forgive other people? That'll convict you. John Piper. Gladness over forgiveness and desire for revenge can't go together on my part. Doesn't work. So loving your neighbor through forgiving your neighbor ought to be a huge focus of my life and of yours if you're a Christian. And the question is, is it? Now, I think that some of us say, I'm not offended and I'm not even aware that other people are that offended by me. So what's the big deal? Next point, frequency of forgiveness. Because again, when I first started studying this in my own heart, there's a sense of, I think I'm fine. What's, What's the big deal? The frequency of forgiveness. Drop right into chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 in the middle of the Lord's Prayer. I bet all of us have this memorized on accident. Just because you grew up and maybe you prayed it before your high school football games. You didn't even try. You just had to because the coach made you. And look at this. That probably most of us have literally prayed out loud probably a thousand times. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, if y'all ever really meditated on that phrase? That's another one that can mess you up. Because let's just be honest. At first glance, it sounds very works-based, does it not? Hey, Jesus, I'm out here doing my best horizontal forgiveness with all these people that are making me mad or whatever. So now you should forgive me. That's what it sounds like at first glance. It's obviously not what it means. Okay? But I... Heard a guy teaching on this one time, PCA pastor in another state, or a mentor of mine. He was talking more. He was doing the Lord's Prayer, talking about his personal devotional life. And so he's like, every day, I think through who's hurt me and who do I need to forgive. And I'll just be honest. And I like this guy. I respect this guy. But I was sitting in the crowd thinking, what's wrong with this guy? How often is he getting his feelings hurt? How can he think of somebody to forgive every day? Or, or is he just a lot more controversial than I know? He's like out there so boldly proclaiming the gospel or something that people are throwing stones at him. That was my first thought. But then I thought, well, I mean, literally, this this was me listening to the teaching, trying to take it seriously, trying to apply it. I'm like, I think this guy's off his rocker. Every day I got to pray through people that I might need to forgive. And I was like, well, he is quoting the Bible. He is quoting Jesus Maybe my friend and mentor is a little too sensitive, but Jesus wasn't too sensitive. Guys, any time that we find our heart, our mind, our practice of life, our way of thinking out of line with the scriptures, you never have to wonder who's in trouble, right? It's like, maybe Jesus was just a little wrong on this one. He was a product of his time. That one never works. You're a product of your time. I'm a product of my time. And that's the problem. Now, Normal, everyday offenses, the small somethings. I think there's two different ways that most of us tend to respond. Okay, I'm probably going to offend everybody in this one, so just hang on. If I don't offend you first, I'll offend you second. If I do offend you first, don't worry, I'm going to offend everybody else next. I think there is a group that I would call the sad, pouty, victim, woe is me, I'm so bad, life is so hard, I can't forgive people. In a sense, they take every little thing too seriously. The victim mentality. Now, a lot of American culture has gone this way, has it not? I'm just gonna cancel anybody that disagrees with me. And guys, that's even creeping into the church. And I just tell you, it's a bad way to live, it's a cursed way to live. It won't. In the long run, you're gonna cut off everybody. You're gonna get hyper-isolated. I know, I know. People that used to be in full-time ministry that if so canceled people, it's just him and his wife, and now here they ain't doing real well. And it's like surprise, surprise. You found a reason to get mad at all the other billions of people on planet Earth. I'm not shocked that you and your wife can't get along anymore. Okay. But here's here's the, the, the one nice thing that I can say about the people with the victim mentality. At least they're honest. At least they're honest. That hurt my feelings. That made me mad. That rubbed me the wrong way. Okay? I'm trying to be objective here. At least they're honest. Because the other side of the group, and this would be the one that I would be more tempted to fall into, is not very honest. Because it's like, you know what? I grew up on John Wayne, Rocky, Sylvester Stallone, Clint Eastwood. And I'm basically just like them. Whatever doesn't kill me makes me stronger. Nothing hurts my feelings. Look how amazing I am. It's a lie. It's not real. You get hurt. You get offended. I mean, I've had conversations with other guys, and I've had this own conversation with myself. I don't know how emotional I am. I don't really get my feelings hurt. But it's like there's one emotion that we can be really familiar with. It's called anger, right? I was trying to help mediate two guys one time. This one guy was like, this other guy, he made me. And he used some fairly colorful language. But bottom line was, he, he made me angry. And I finally said, did he hurt your feelings? And I have a good relationship with this guy. Otherwise, he might have punched me in the face if I asked him this. But we got a history guy. I said, would you be willing to say that he hurt your feelings? And he's like, yeah, I guess technically, yeah. I said, I, he really did hurt my feelings. I said, have you told him that? Because I know you've told him how angry he made you. But a lot of people, you go and tell him, hey, let me tell you how angry I am. You know what they do? They just get defensive. They're like, whoa. whoa. You don't feel safe with that person. But if you come and say, hey, i got to be honest, you hurt me. That's easier to respond to better, isn't it? But a lot of men, especially myself included, we don't want to go there. So, So here's a practical application. If you're about to tune me out, let me get this practical application in first, all right? Just pray this week. Pray this week. Lord, is there somebody... Either that I'm mad at or hurt at or whatever, negative emotion at, or somebody out there that has negative emotion at me, that I need to forgive or I need to go to. I need to make things right. Okay. Now, third point, feeling forgiven. At the end of the Lord's Prayer, it's like Jesus said, I know there was one part of the Lord's Prayer that you could have gotten Mixed up because I know it sounded like a little works based, maybe a little legalistic. So let me clarify. Matthew 6, verse 14. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. It's like, good gracious, Jesus, you just made it worse. It's like you just doubled down on the exact same thing you said. I mean, this really sounds works based. Now, what's he saying? And this is something I've really wrestled with and studied a ton. Listen, if there was somebody... I mean, this is something that we say in college ministry all the time, right? If there's somebody that says, I used to party a lot, but I got saved when I was 15, and now I'm in college, and, you know, but I have assurance of my salvation. I was like, great, how much life change has Jesus done in your life over the last eight years? Like, oh, He hasn't changed my life at all. It's like, well, I love you, you're not a Christian. I might think of a nicer way to say it, but that's the bottom line, right? Right? If Jesus has brought 0.0% life change into your life over an eight-year period, you're not a real Christian. And the same ones, in the same sense, in the most extreme sense, if somebody's like, I've been a Christian 30 years. How many people have you forgiven in the last 30 years? Nobody. I've got a lot of enemies. You're not a Christian. Okay? But, guys, Jesus was teaching the disciples Jesus was teaching them how to pray. I mean, this prayer starts with our Father who art in heaven. This is a prayer for Christians. So how does this work for Christians? It worked Because we all know Romans 8, 1, and we can quote a lot of other verses. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is a once and for all cleansing of forgiveness, a legal forgiveness, so to speak, in the courtroom of heaven called justification that once you get it you're in and you can never lose it you can never screw it up you didn't do anything to earn it you can't do anything to revoke it right we ought to be very clear on that but there is also an ongoing daily and personal relational forgiveness that is different if i make my wife mad and this is not hypothetical it has happened many times she might, and she has at times said, Hey, I love you, but I don't like you right now. And I need space from you. So I'm going in the other room. Don't come in there. Don't talk to me. Leave me alone. You know what? I've never worried. Maybe she's going to divorce me. She'll come back. But I hurt her. She needs some space to cool down. That's normal life. I've had times when two of my boys have gotten into a fight. And as I break them up, and I'm like, hey, you two guys need to make up. And maybe one of them, for whatever reason, is having a spirit-filled moment. It's pretty rare, but it happens every once in a while. And says, okay, I'm sorry. I forgive you. Will you forgive me? And if the other one's kind of like still wanting to go to blows, I'll never forgive you. You What am I going to say to the merciful one? I'm like, come downstairs and have a bowl of ice cream with daddy, buddy. To the angry one, it's like, go to your room. Read your Bible, pray, do something, but you don't get any ice cream and you don't get to hang out with dad. Again, am I about to disown this child? No. As angry as I've gotten to him, I've never seriously thought about, babe, let's just get rid of him. <laughs> right? But in that moment, he doesn't get to experience intimacy with daddy. Make sense? But the humble one, the repentant one, the godly one, you could say, he gets to experience daddy and ice cream. What more could a little kid want? All right. Hendrickson. Horizontal forgiveness is that which must be complied with for us to enjoy God's forgiveness. Shamblin. Let us experience your forgiveness. He's saying that's what the Lord's Prayer really means. John Gill, great old Reformed Baptist, said manifest, make obvious your forgiving love. Your father has not given you a true sense of the pardon of your sins, nor can you be certain that he will, nor have you any reason to expect it when you are so cruel and revengeful of others. John Calvin, PCA pastors have to quote Calvin at least once a year. You get fired, all right? So here's my Calvin quote: So long as a difference with our neighbor is kept up by our fault, we have no access to God pretty strong you're a real christian he loves you you're going to heaven don't expect any of your prayers to get answered a little more calvin <laughs> jesus exhorts us to forgive and at the same time to ratify the confidence in our own forgiveness those who refuse to forget the injuries which have been done to them devote themselves willingly and deliberately to destruction and knowingly prevent God from forgiving them, deliberately resolve that God may proceed against them to the utmost rigor. One more from Calvin. Then as this reason ought to restrain, and this is when he's actually qu- uh, quoting on 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, where it says, Husbands, if you don't live with your wives in an understanding manner, it's going to hinder your prayer life. Okay, It's just a specific application of everything we're talking about. Then is this reason ought to restrain all domestic quarrels and strifes in order that each one of the family may pray to God? So in common life, it ought to be, as it were, a bridle to check all contentions. For we are more than insane if we knowingly and willfully close up the way to God's presence by prayer, since this is the only asylum of our salvation. Again, you're like, that's too strong. Take it up with Calvin. Think about it this way, guys. The physical body, air comes into my body, which is necessary for life, through my windpipe. Air, carbon dioxide, goes out of my body through my windpipe. If for some stupid reason I heard something bad about carbon dioxide and I said, I I feel weird about carbon dioxide going through my windpipe. I don't want that to happen anymore. So I'm going to clench my windpipe and crush it so no more air will go out of my windpipe. Good luck with that. Maybe you make it three minutes at best. Because if air can't go out, air can't come in. If I refuse to practice forgiveness at the horizontal level, even if I'm a genuine believer who's just backslidden in sin like David was last week, you will not have the privilege of experiencing the intimate relational forgiveness from the Father. If you close your heart towards forgiveness towards others, you're closing your heart towards the experience of God's forgiveness. And guys, uncommonly, this is super common. So let me talk application for a while. I speak at a lot of different retreats, campus meetings, churches, blah blah staff trains. And this is a pretty common experience. Doesn't happen every time, but I don't know. Once a quarter, this probably happens to me. After I get done, somebody will come up. Hey, I have a question to ask you. And they'll say, man, I've been a Christian for four years, five years, whatever. And I I just, I I feel like I'm doing everything right. But I feel so distant from God. I feel so so closed off, so cold. And so I usually say, well, is there any hidden sin? And I don't mean are you perfect. But is there any kind of hidden sin that you're not really fighting, you're not really repenting of? And sometimes, maybe close to half the time, they'll say... Yeah, there is something. You know, I, I've been looking at porn and I hadn't told anybody and I'm not really fighting. And I'm like, well, I, I'm not an expert, but I, that might be it. Maybe you need to take your sin more serious. You need to repent. You're grieving the Holy Spirit. You're quenching the Holy Spirit. So we'll talk about fighting that specific sin. But probably at least half the time, maybe more, they'll say, no, man, I'm doing everything I know to do. I'm going to church. I'm reading my Bible. I'm praying. I'm in accountability. I mean, I'm not perfect, but I'm fighting sin. And so here's my second follow-up question. I say, well... Is there anybody that you have any anger against, or maybe you're holding a grudge, or? And God, I can't tell you, it's almost every time. Their head goes down, and like, and it's not like they have to think; it's like instantly. Yeah, there is somebody. Now, here, here's here's what's really interesting to me about that. When I said, "Is there any hidden sin in your life?" Hold on, to that grudge didn't cross their mind. They don't think of it as a sin. They just think of it as normal life. But then when I get specific, anybody you're holding a grudge against, it's like they know instantly. And guys, sometimes it might be a roommate from last year. It might be a boyfriend or a girlfriend from last month. Sometimes it's a parent from 10 or 15 years ago. I started meeting with a guy... Uh, last year in Birmingham, probably in his 50s, businessman. He wanted me to kind of be like a spiritual life coach for him. And we met together a couple of times. And pretty quickly got to, he had some grudges. And I said, man, I want you to go home, spend some time praying this week. Come back and tell me how many people you think in your life you have any kind of sinful, anger, grudge, hurt, frustration, broken relationship with. And praise the Lord, he actually did the homework I signed. He came back, he said, have 25 people. I said, okay, well... At least we got a list to start on. Started going down, trying to have conversations. John MacArthur. I love this quote. Forgiveness is the most God-like thing believers can do. Nothing is more divine than to forgive. But guys, you know, a lot of times preachers will exaggerate. Not me, but others, right? Right? And I like MacArthur, but sometimes I feel like he can really exaggerate. So this is one of those quotes when I read that. I'm like, I was kind of trying to argue with him in my head. Like, man. But the more I thought and wrestled, I'm like. The most divine-like thing that we can do is forgive. Because it's so anti-human. But it's so God-like. And here's my correlation. If that's true, you know what the one implication that is? the most satanic thing that we can do is to refuse to forgive. So, I think the sin under the sin for all of us is this, guys. At some level, we're suspicious. Has God really forgiven me that full, that free? We're like Joseph's brothers. Imagine if you had some rich uncle in Sweden that you never heard about before, and you're like, hey... You had a rich uncle in Sweden, he died, and he left you $10 million. And you're like, yeah, right, this sounds like a scam, right? i got to send 1995 dollars over to get it first or something, right? I no, mean, no, no, really. He left you $10 million, but here's the thing. It's in an ATM machine, or, you know, it's in some kind of electronic bank. You can't get to the whole sum, but here's a debit card. You can get out $400 a day for the rest of your life. He thought that would be enough. But you're like oh now i'm really suspicious i want to see it i want to touch it no, no there, there's plenty just every day you go back there will be 400. in a sense that's what god's forgiveness is like for us we have it all in full it's ours but in some sense we don't get to experience it until we commit the sin and then we go pray and we ask for it but for some of us there can be a suspicion am i going to get to the place where i go back to the father and say I hate to say this, Father, but it's me again. And you know that sin that I said like I would never do again. And I've said that like every week for the last five years. I did the same sin again. And and we're suspicious. Is he really that rich in mercy? Is he ever going to be like, this is enough? But if you're in Christ, he never gets there. Because the price has been paid in full, guys. And to the degree that we're overwhelmed with the greatness of his mercy, it gets a lot more easiest to practice it, right? Just like if I'm convinced there is $5 million in that Swiss bank for me, or $10 million, whatever it is. And somebody says, can I borrow $200 a day? You're like, sure you can. Because I just got $400 out and I got $400 coming tomorrow. It's easier to be generous when you're rich, right? At least it ought to be. Now... I think we can understand. I mean, just try to put yourself in the historical context of a Jewish person literally on their pilgrimage thinking about going to temple. You're telling me to leave temple and go back. That sounds crazy. Seems overwhelming. Because once a year I gotta go up, I gotta take this animal, I gotta pay the price, and then you're gonna tell me to leave it? I thought God took my sin seriously. And I'm trying to take it seriously. But really what's going on here, guys, is this is pointing to the true and the great temple, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Because God does take our sin very seriously. It's not that he takes it lightly at all. But here's the beautiful and powerful truth. As seriously as God takes our sin, he took the solution just as seriously. And the one true Lamb of God has already been slaughtered for all the sins of all His people for all time, past, present, and future. We are forgiven. We are rich in the things of God. We are rich in the mercy that He given to us. And we ought to be rich in practicing it to others. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank You for Your life. Thank you for your death. Thank you for your resurrection. We don't want to live like beggars. We don't want to live like Joseph's brothers, suspicious and fearful. We want to enjoy the wealth of your mercy. And we want to be more freed up to be generous with the grace that you've shown to us and show it to others. We pray that you would help us in these things, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to this episode of Truth Wars with Dr. Olin Stubbs. We want to remind you to please leave a review for this podcast wherever you listen and to share this podcast with any friends or family that you think may be blessed by Olin's teaching.